Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben Murphy. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi.、Um, I always clarify that I'm not a rabbi, but I am an ordained spiritual director.、Uh, I do spiritual counseling, I do group work, and I do work with aging to saging. That's one of the specialties, as it were. You know, the aging part has been very interesting for me lately in terms of the last acceptable ism that I've encountered in my life is ageism. That we're desperately trying to show that we're still a viable commodity to the world as we get older.、Uh, there was a conversation、uh, my wife and I were having where she said, you know, sometimes if you just put a little bit of color in your beard, they won't see you as gray. And、um, she knows I resist this terribly.、Um, but I felt sad about that. I felt sad that a person has to. I remember when my mother had dark hair and dark hair and dark hair. And then one day I came home for a visit and she had gray hair, like whitish gray hair. And she looked great. And I said, Wow, what happened? She said, I just got sick of it. I got sick of pretending I was 40 because I'm 65. So I've got gray hair. My mother's now 96. So it's kind of a thing. But I have noticed that we don't, don't give a lot of currency to、uh, what we do collect in our lives that, that idea of wisdom.、Uh, now, wisdom doesn't, just because you're old, it doesn't mean you're wise. There's lots of stupid old people, and there's lots of stupid young people. That's because they're just not awake or working hard enough in terms of consciousness and present.、Uh, and God love them all. But Really, this whole idea that you're just wise because you're old just doesn't, you need to work on it.、Uh, in the workshops I do, you really have to cultivate an inventory that you take of your life, a reflection on your life, a contemplative practice to help you to become present to being here now,、uh, and the ability to find your humility with your wisdom. And humility is one of the tricky words because it's, Often seen as,、um, oh, don't mind me. No, it's okay. Don't mind me. That's not what humility is. Humility is knowing what place you have in any conversation in your life, what place you have or role you have. So, the humility in you might lead you to guide other people, not out of arrogance, but because you know this is a gift and you want to share it. Uh, your humility might say,、uh, I'm, My ego is being challenged. I need to find a way to not respond from my ego, but to be present now and take in my true self responding to this person. Right now, I've just started with this uh, new uh, calendar year. I've started a, a practice in Judaism that's called Musar.、Uh, and Musar is taking a, a collection of character traits. Um, humility, patience, gratitude.、Uh, there's a whole, there's 18 of them, and you're to choose 13 of them. And for one week at a time, you, you really reflect and stay conscious about it. So this week is my first week, and I chose moderation. And there's a saying offered in a wonderful book by Alan Marinus, Everyday Holiness.、Um, at the beginning of each of these different things order, equanimity, Uh, compassion, generosity, truth. These are all the different character and soul traits that a person has. 
So it's kind of a, a fitness program for your spirituality. It's a curriculum. And in doing it, you end up in a situation where every morning I now am waking up and saying that I am aware of the pull of impulse and will respond with wisdom. So that's what I start a day with for a week. And then during the day, I'm consciously aware of whether or not my actions, my urges, can I moderate them? Can I find a way to just find the, the, the balance within them and stay within that? And then at the end of the day, each day, you do a little journaling. You could write four words or four pages or whatever you want, but it's a way of taking stock. So when I talk about wisdom and aging, it's because you have to work at it. You have to actually have something to offer. It's like the young artist has to figure out, now that I've gotten your attention, what, do I what is it I have to say? My guest today is somebody who both of us, she has spent way more time and way more wonderful time in stand-up comedy than I did. I kind of visited for about five to eight years uh, and then realized I'm going somewhere else here. <coughs> she stayed. But one of the things that you did, you had to make a decision about in stand-up was once you knew you could actually get them, that you knew they were going to laugh, what were you going to tell them? Because some people just stopped at, I can make them laugh. And that was enough for them. You know, uh, one of the guys who shall remain nameless, he's still a working comic. His whole bit was, I, look, I'm an act. I just do my act. And that's it. I said, but th I've noticed your act isn't quite you. Because I don't want it to be me. It's just this thing I do when I walk out there. Well, Howie Mandel, when he hit it big at the beginning, he came out in a diaper. You know, and he went, okay, 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 you know, for like eight minutes and killed because he was a great pantomime. He was a great clown, right? Everybody finds their voice in what they do, but sometimes we choose to ignore it and sometimes we don't. The person I'm about to introduce to you is somebody who did not choose to ignore it, but actually articulated her, her passion and her voice and took her place with no apology. And... Um, She's well-known to Canadian audiences, and uh, she's well-known to American audiences. Here, she had uh, quite a large presence in broadcast, and including uh, being the first woman in Canada to host solo her own morning show, which I think is wonderful because it's a male jungle, that morning zoo thing. So, you know, the woman is supposed to be the funny one over there. Uh, so it was great that she got it. So... Uh, without further ado, I'll introduce her to you, ladies and gentlemen, Carla Collins. Hi, Ralph. How are you, love? I'm good. I haven't spoken to you in a long time. How are you doing? Yeah, I was thinking it may be at least a decade. Well, wow. at, our, at our age, when you say uh, I haven't spoken to you in a long time, I always go, it must have been like 8, 12, 15 <laughs> years ago. I've never had much of a concept for time, which I, you know, liken to my Einstein-like hair. So I, I, I never really know. But yes, it's been a, a long time. But I've always uh, liked and admired you, and I think we've probably at different occasions interviewed each other. So uh, I'm very good. I, it's I'm very thrilled to be speaking with you right now. As am I, and I want. I'll start with what is your relationship to your hair. <laughs> Well, we've been together for a long time now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm happy that I still have it. There's, it's mood hair. So um, 
because I have a very low boredom threshold. I like that it surprises me every day. And uh, I heard you at the beginning of your show talking about gray. I've uh, colored my hair for so long, I have no idea what the original hair color is, but I do know if I were to let it go, I'm gray here yeah. and, and my original dark uh, brown most places. So I don't know, I think I would look like Grandpa Munster, uh, but that's all right. I'm happy to go all silver, but well, that works too. It's you hair. Do you think you'll do that at one point? I might. I actually did a photo shoot where I was wearing a silver wig this summer. And uh, and like your mom, sadly, my mom is no longer with us. But at one point, uh, her jet black hair was entirely white. And I thought it was quite beautiful on her. So hmm. it's a funny thing, you know, um, our looks and how we. I've certainly over the years struggled with the idea of permanence of your looks, right? That you're supposed to permanently look some some way. I was a, 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 a fat kid, right? Oh. So so that that was why I was funny. I mean, if, if I'd been good looking as a kid, I wouldn't have bothered being funny if I felt in place. Or kind, really, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But it helped. Um, Tell me a little bit about you growing up in terms of, uh, did you have a, was there a religion in your family? Was there no religion? How did you grow up? Oh, no, I grew up Catholic and went to a Catholic school. Um, now, interestingly, at that point, I believe both parents uh, had sort of left the church, having both been at one point pretty diehard Catholics. Uh, I think then as young adults, they were seeing some hypocrisy. I believe my mom went to one priest who said that she was, uh, that any type of birth control was verboten. And my father went to another priest who said, um, absolutely, you can use birth control. And so I know that they were slowly moonwalking away from the church. But we, of course, went uh, most Sundays and the whole Easter Christmas. So uh, I think they just wanted me to have that base. Um, I joke in my act, I speak uh, quite a bit about spirituality now in my comedy show. And I have joked that um, organized religion isn't my thing. Um, as you know, religion has been very divisive and the cause of many wars, but most of the word organized, because you should see my room. So, um, and uh, like you, I, I was not, I was a very, very, uh, very skinny um, and a bit of a sickly kid. I danced from the age of two and a half. I think they just need to put the energy somewhere. And, um, and I'm fond of speaking of my adolescence as being aggressively ugly. It was as though Howard Stern and Big Bird had a love child. And, or as my uncle Ronnie so beautifully put it, Carla, do you remember when you were just two legs and a nose? Um, and, uh, I was, I was, people screamed pig nose out of the, you know, small town school buses for uh, more years than I care to remember. That's tough, bring, but that stuff's hard. That stuff hurts. It was very hurtful, but um, two stories with that. I really, yeah, then I just won every academic award because what else was I going to do? I had one friend whom I actually heard from over the holidays and I once again thanked her for helping me get through adolescence. Um, so I, I won a lot of academia and um, then for some reason, Ralph, I don't know what happened, but I switched high schools in grade 11 and uh, I don't know if I just started to catch up with my giant cartoon-like features, but 
a, a bunch of boys from grade 12, so you know, any kind of older guys, were whispering and looking at me. And I remember just, you know, my temperature going up and thinking, oh no, they're gonna start, you know, bullying me. And I'm, I'm, they're going to start calling me pig nose. And they sent me a note that said, dear Bambi, we love you, the young bucks. That's when I went from pig nose to Bambi. And I know it sounds like I was a stripper, but I took Bambi wholeheartedly over pig nose. And for some reason, I was the belle of uh, Guelph Collegiate and with the cool kids. So one day in math class, a new girl walked in and she had an underbite. And when she walked into the classroom, everybody started doing this. And I lost it <laughs> and just bitch slapped everybody in my circle and told them to stop. And I love to think that I'm a high enough evolved human that I would have done that without having spent my years being taunted myself, but I rather doubt it. So I'm quite yeah. grateful for those years, quite grateful. Yeah. I think it made me a much more empathetic and compassionate person. Well, that's one of the things about compassion, right? Is that uh, in pain, we, we really get in touch with our compassion. And if everything just sort of flows your way, you don't have a, a, a compass to be able to say, uh, you know what you're about to do to this girl with the underbite? Uh, I suffered that. I went home. I thought about that. I, I thought less of myself. I, I compensated. I for cried. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was always the kid who was terrified if it was a skins and shirts game in, in gym for the boys. Please don't put me on the skins team. Please don't make me take my T-shirt off. Right. And the teacher had no idea. Just like your skins. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be awful. And then right. I became funny to tell the story about it because it was easier to tell the funny story. And it was something people could talk to me and, and think, oh, well, I don't know if I really like girls could talk to me without thinking they ever had to go out with me because they thought, oh, he's the funny one. I'll tell him about the guy I like. Of course, yeah. yeah, you became the, B, the best friend, the BFF. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of now when you were in church all those Sundays, um, did any of it resonate with you? Were there seeds of spirituality in that? Or was that something that you, you just did as a reflex? No, it very much resonated with me. Um, you know, my mom's parents were in their early 50s when they had her, Ralph. And uh, I was very close to my mamere, whom I did not have for a long time. She passed away at 80 when I was uh, seven years old. But she did live with us my grandfather having passed when I was uh, small. And I, we were very close. And she ran, and I believe uh, the Drew family still does, she ran the Joan of Arc bingo. And she was responsible for raising money to, and building several churches in Sault Ste. Marie. I have always just innately believed in God. I, um, I didn't, you know, understand. I remember my cousin George saying, God isn't here right now. I mean, he can't be everywhere. And I thought, no, that's everywhere. Um, and uh, I think I was very, I had 72 imaginary friends as a child until my brother came along when I was five um, and used to spend all night having sleepovers and talking to my mamere, my French grandmother. So, and there were teachings in the church that very much resonated with me. Um, the, uh, anything from the Lord's prayer to God grant me the serenity. I loved the peace be with you. And uh, I remember the whole kneeling. I, I, I remember there was, I felt that there was a cultish element, but I also believe at this stage that everything really is a cult. 
whether I'm teaching Zumba dance or everything's a cult. Feminism is a cult. Almost everything is. So of course religion was, but um, no, I, I think, and I guess I credit my parents or I, I, I'm not really certain why, but from a very early age, I was pretty spiritual if that's the word or, um, you know, felt like, uh, you know, what was most essential uh, maybe couldn't be seen by the eye. So that word God is a very loaded word for a lot of people. Yes. Um, it's, uh, I was going to write a book once, but I didn't, I, I have a book I'm writing now, but there was a book I wanted to write called God is a four letter word uh, <laughs> because it's the way it's seen as, as, almost a pat on the head naivete for a lot of people these days that there's such a thing as saying I've always believed in God. But when we talk about it, everybody I've noticed has a different idea when they say the word. So when I, when you say God, what, what comes to your mind about that word and who, what we're talking about? Well, I mean, you know, it is just a word because I, I, I could also replace it as I joke often with the force uh, the universe, the, the higher being, you know, Bono, Keanu Reeves, whoever's really quite evolved. But uh, to me, I think what really struck me, resonated with me the most, Ralph, was having taken several courses at the Kabbalah Center in, uh, in Los Angeles. And because I think that was my first introduction that God was inside of us that we were each God, we were our own God, we made things happen. It was a, a question of, and you know, I'm paraphrasing, connecting with that source. And the second I heard that, to me, that's what it was, that we all are. And they, I use that for you, and, and you know, I don't want to get tripped up in semantics, ergo your book, but um, some for some people it's just a higher self. But yes, I do believe that, well, it could be really damn boring if it's just us humans, I really can't for a moment think that it's just that. Um, and, you know, I, I, I guess I keep reverting back to the, the Petit Prince, my mom's favorite book, The Little Prince, about how, you know, it's not, it's only with the heart that we can see rightly what is essential, um, cannot be seen by the eye. So I feel like the repeated messages, whether it be Kabbalah, a, a, a smattering of Catholicism, or um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry are saying the same things. And that it's a matter of just trying to connect with that, which I think is probably a lifelong or a lifetime's long journey. Yeah, it's interesting because in the um, the Kabbalistic notion, uh, it, everything is God and God is everything. Yes. So it's a non-dualistic approach, which is compatible with Eastern religion in a way that, uh, you know, uh, conventional Judeo-Christian and uh, Islamic Thinking is more about duality. It is your relationship to God. And yet, uh, I know that in the Kabbalistic writings that I, I've, I've had the pleasure of reading, you're really dealing with worlds and, well, in the, in the most complicated, you're dealing with spherot, with little parts of, every, you know, that all connect in a tetragram that I always found incredibly confusing. So I ended up with a, a much more simplified Kabbalistic view of the world of that we live in four worlds. There is the, the world of the body, the mm -hmm. world of the heart, the world of the mind, and the world of the spirit. 
And, uh, yes. Yeah. So people spend time in those, and some of us spend more time in those than others. And when I think about you, I think about the, the idea that you you have always danced, you you teach dance, uh, you have a spiritual life, uh, you have uh, ev- evolved in meditation, so that you're it's it's to me is your body is a, an important part of your spiritual life. You don't just think it's over there. You're a yogi. So there's all these beautiful pieces to it. Is it, did you accidentally stitch all this together or were you just as a seeker, just finding that it, it came naturally to you? Maybe a little column A and column B. <laughs> I think it may have been a happy accident. Well, I joke now that, you know, my favorite three way is the mind, body, soul. I, I think also, you know, we're taking leaps and bounds where it's a lot more accepted this, this triangle, but you know, you kind of have to have all sides firing, all cylinders firing. Um, again, I think because I came out of the womb at 510, basically, and, and my parents put me into dance, I'm very grateful for that. So, um, you know, body became that way. And, and, you know, I think I've, I've also been really blessed with great health. So I don't take that for granted. And about 20 years ago, I got into yoga because it was a, a great segue from dance. Um, and, you know, a lot of people say things change your life and that like yoga really whew, it made a big impact on my life oh. uh, because I think it was a moving meditation and uh, I have often, including my mom's death, tried to outrun things. And I think it really quieted, uh, I think at that point, 20 years ago, Ralph, I had a lot of the you know, chattering mind. I always joke that my mind is you know, two monkeys texting. Well, there's a third, but he's just flinging feces and masturbating. He's not really doing much. Um, so it did teach me to focus in. I think it gets you in touch with a lot of emotions. So it introduced me to meditation and now my meditation is such a big part of my life that I've actually created something I call comedic meditation where I do stand up for 20 or 30 minutes, get everybody laughing, firing some endorphins, um, and then they kind of get out of their own way and everybody seems to be able to um, enter a much deeper and relaxation state when I take them through a guided meditation. And meditation, laughter, as you may know, it produces the same brain wave. They're both in a gamma state. And I was really just trying, Ralph, to take the preciousness and woo-woo and pretend, you know, intimidation out of meditation because some people, I would invite them and they say, no, I don't believe in Satan. I'm like, okay. (laughs) First of all, he's super sexy. So what? (laughs) And, Uh, And second of all, you probably do and don't know it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I just, you know, so I, I was trying to get that out of the way so that more people could benefit from it. And that stigma, that, that woo woo stigma, uh, you know, that people have to apologize for engaging in the mystery of things. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't, I don't think anyone has to apologize. It's always the most fascinating thing to me, Ralph, but I will say that, as you may know, having spent some time in LA, there are a lot of false gurus. I mean, every second person is a guru. So a big part of my religion or spirituality or whatever name you like is also not taking ourselves so seriously. I really like more of a down to earth approach because I think 
that that will produce much better results if we don't all, you know, you have to say, oh, three, you're doing it wrong. Well, then so many people feel it, we're going back to being bullied again in grade six. Like you're not meditating wrong, it's your practice. And, and I really believe in letting everyone have their beliefs and practices and doing what works for them and gets them through the night, particularly during the year we're having. So yeah. um, I'm not shaming anyone for woo-woo. I, as I said, it's being, it was a theme for me on TV and, and when I was doing stand-up, because I've jumped in and out of stand-up and I wouldn't get any reaction. And now it can be 45 minutes of my routine and everybody's on board. So it tells me that everyone's a lot more accepting of it. Um, I just, like anything else, you know, you got to beware of those false prophets. And, and that woo-woo part where, you know, sometimes I'll say in LA, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. They're like, Carla, I'm an empath and I'm holding space for you. And the Archangel Michael, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, are you holding a, a seat for me at the movies? Do you have Neil deGrasse Tyson at So Cold? What do you mean you're holding space? So I'm just more taking the mickey out of that than anyone's I'm not shaming anyone for a, a woo-woo quest I, I think that's really the only thing you know I I believe we're spiritual creatures and these are just tuxedos we're renting for this life you know we're all gonna end up looking like scrambled eggs at some point except for Christy yeah. Brinkley I'd still do her <laughs> you've mentioned a couple of times your mother and her passing uh, how, how did, how did that change the way you see life and death, your mother's passing? Mm, it changed everything. It changed everything because for me, and I believe this with all my heart, my mother was my soulmate this time around. Uh, you know, we were kindred spirits. She was my best friend and mentor and, really the love of my life in many ways. And I was always much more excited to see my mom than any, you know, man in my life. Uh, and, uh, and her passing was shocking. You know, she got ready to go for brunch and had a heart attack and the rest of her sisters all lived in their nineties where she was 74. So um, it, it really kneecapped me. And, uh, and for a while, it was a big, that I'm still working my way back from, because it's been a, a few years, it was a big crisis of faith, because I have been forever like a young child wanting some giant, elaborate sign from her, like a glass of wine pouring itself. She really liked white wine. Mm. Um, or, and instead of, so I think I blocked it, I... Uh, it was, you know, it was a really difficult time that I think really only in the last little while I've come out of and, and, and now subscribe much more and try to remember some of the things that were my inherent beliefs, like energy doesn't die, you know, and like Rumi says, don't grieve, it will come back in another form and to honor her by trying to be the best person I could be and that hopefully some of her best traits when it, you know, I could carry on. And, uh, and as a dear friend reminded me the other day, because at the beginning I was talking to her and talking to her and I felt like I wasn't getting anything back and said, you know, start talking to your mom again. So, yeah. 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 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. I know it's not um, surfacey stuff. It's it's heartfelt stuff. Yeah. So now there's this thing that we get sometimes when one of our parents, especially one as beloved as your mother, passes that you're not allowed to get older than 74. I mean, if mom didn't die, didn't. Um, yeah, or maybe just 75. Uh, no, I've kind of always had this vision that I'm on the lawn dart team and I take more after my father's mother, Grandma Millie, who had platinum blonde hair and was a two-time Miss Michigan winner. And also, <laughs> not, the, not the loveliest of people, but um, I think because there, there is the long, and I don't know why, I just picture me looking like a raisin, still in high heels, obviously. Uh, so... I don't know, and I, I guess, when, I mean, I don't know that I think in really doing a lot of work about this whole mom thing, I don't think I'm as scared of death, uh, and uh, I'm not, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Well, I where do we go? Where do we go? Like, everybody, we don't know, but what's your intuition as to the next chapter after this? I'm going to come back as one of Adam Levine's tattoos myself. I, have, uh, <laughs> I don't know where we go. I think we go a variety of places, right? It may be Travelocity. Maybe the Travelocity gnome takes us each somewhere different. I don't know. I, I think first maybe some become guides and some reincarnate. You know, I, I kind of have a philosophy. I'm very close with my younger brother and uh, I would to me, he's like almost a Disney character in his purity. And he's very like, if he, if he cuts, like if he stubs his toe, it's a giant deal for him. And I keep thinking, this is his first time in a body. <laughs> um, this is, this is, this is my pal. We call each other pal. This is my pal's first life. Um, now for me, I do remember um, going to a psychic and I was like, I'm totally an old soul. I mean, it's, I'm going to be, he's going to tell me I'm an old soul. So I was like, sir, am I an old soul? And he said, you know, you're not a young soul or, soul or an old soul. Your soul's middle-aged. And I'm like, my soul's wearing a comb over and driving a Corvette, going to Buffett concerts and banging a supermodel. Who wants a middle-aged soul? But so I just, you know, I, I, of course, like everyone else or anyone else, can't tell you for sure, but I, I, I don't think this is the show. Um, I think yeah, but there's a difference for some people who I've, uh, I'm friends with or spoken with over the years. This is the show. Yes. This is it. And then it just, it's a physical phenomena that ends and that's that. Uh, and I always found that if for no other reason than a severe lack of poetic and metaphorical life, it's just such a grim view of what we are. I'm not saying I know anything. I'm just right. saying, like you said earlier, at one point, just, you know, it can't just be about us people here sitting on this little dirt ball in the universe. It's so unknowably huge that there must be more to it than that. And when you talked about the idea of your mother being your soulmate, I remember once at the, when the Toronto Film Festival was still an actual human event. Yes. Um, where you could go to different movies because you felt like it and somebody in the line would go, you should go see that one down at the university. It's really good. And then they go, okay, and just walk over and take that one in. And I watched this film from Argentina where um, the concept uh, of the premise of the film was that people uh, would die and go up to uh, heaven as souls. 
And then they would have to decide whether or not they wanted to re-enter the mortal life. And it was a big decision and many of them didn't because being mortal is very difficult. Right. Uh, right? Pain in the ass. Pain in the ass. Uh, and they, uh, but what happened there was there was always, when they would re-enter, they would go back to their beloved in one form or another, as a mother, as a sister, as a friend, as a, a child, as a husband, as a wife. But there would always be a way that they would find each other and meet again. When you, when you said that about your mom, I thought, and that's the way they did it this time, right? I, I, I absolutely believe that. I, I 100% believe that. I think, I think that's the excitement and the fascination is the mystery. I can tell you um, words that my grandmother told me that always, you know, make quite a, an imprint. Uh, I remember she said, and this is a woman who was born in the 1800s, for God's sakes. She said, there is no hell. And she was a diehard Catholic. She thought that was absolute bullshit. Um, in fact, she thought this was hell. Uh, and one time my mom came home from school crying because they lived in a very um, multicultural ethnic neighborhood. And my mom's best friend was not Catholic. And the Jesuit priest told everybody only the Catholics were going to heaven. And my mom was quite upset about that. And my my mayor grabbed my mom and marched her down there and just ripped that priest a new one saying, everyone's going to heaven. <laughs> um, so I think she was quite a trailblazer and, uh, and a lot of her philosophy stuck with me because I, I, I don't know about punishment. I, you know, I, did, I just believe more in karma and do no harm and, uh, and that you know, everything's connected. We're all connected, not just as people, but animals and trees yeah. and what have you. So I think, I think we never can go wrong taking our cue from nature that does everything effortless and it's been around a lot longer. But do you, so, just, I mean, I do a lot of work in climate uh, uh, communications and, uh, and spirituality and eco-spirituality are very important to me. But when I look at, you know, I mean, California was on fire. Literally. Uh, Literally, mm -hmm. Australia was literally on fire. The continent of Australia was on fire. And yet it seems that we have still cannot make a connection in ourselves to that idea that you just said, which is that we, you know, we are, nature is us, we are nature. Yes. It's not. It's, it's this thing over here that, you know, is to be uh, used, extracted from, uh, exhausted but as long as we keep feeding the machine of our material life, it, it, it's too bad, so sad. I'm not going to do much about it. How do you, as a, a person of conscience and, and, and morality, how do, you, how do you deal with seeing that go by every day and just going, what the hell is wrong with people? Well, I never think preaching works because I think that's when everybody's egos go on overdrive and we get defensive uh, I think that's why I went back to stand-up comedy, um, you know, less than um, about eight years ago, because I think you know, still um, abide by the Norman Cousins, the closest distance between two people's laughter. And then I think you can get your message across more um, when they're giggling. I at leading by example, uh, where it comes to the, because, you know, it's very ego-driven in man to just want to dominate all species. Still don't understand hunters. Uh, I'm now vegan. 
So, um, and it took me a while to get there, but I was like, you know, having rescued animals all my life and really it just made sense um, for both the earth and for, so I can just do my little part and um, see who else wants to come on board. I think you can just lead by example, um, speak, you know, not to use a cliche, but speak your truth, especially with comedy and see if it doesn't reach a few ears. So uh, comedy itself, to get up there and do that. Um, I know that when I was younger, it was, the fuel that I needed was, or I thought I needed was my ego. I had, yet I, I also knew that I had to be able to detach myself from a bad review or a good review. Yeah. I, I used to tell people, if you're not willing to believe, uh, if you're willing to believe the good review, you have to believe the bad. Absolutely concur. Right. Same people writing them. They're doing it for a living. They're not you. They don't care if it hurts your feelings. It's the way it goes. And if you end with comedy, if you suck, you suck. I mean, it's not like you can pretend that it was a great dramatic performance and they just didn't get it. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's up to you to be present for it. But that fuel is not the fuel I like to run my life with anymore. So what fuels you when you get up there in what is a highly charged atmosphere to say, I'm funny, listen to what I have to say? Well, as I mentioned before, Ralph, I, you know, dabbled in it when I was very young and jumped out of it very quickly, thinking, I don't need this shit. I'm, I'm working on national TV and radio and, um, you know, I really did not have a thick enough skin for it. I cared very much what other people thought and didn't like the bully atmosphere, was also male dominated, uh, they were not kind. You know, I had this reverse thing where I was the ugly duckling for so long and then I hit and CTV didn't want to put me on the comedy network because they felt I looked like an anchor. And so then I was dealing with the opposite, which the cabals would say, great, that's what the life's rich tapestry is all about. Keep going to the, to the extremes. Um, but as I said, about a decade ago or less than that, uh, and I also had a giant nerve problem. I mean, I couldn't eat for days, Ralph. I mean, it took me a good five minutes to settle on stage. So really I was like, this is optional. And then I, I don't know what happened, but I, I got over the nerve problem. I don't know if it was the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours or what have you. And because um, you really have to be in love with it to do it. I also did not care. And I really I mean, I do, did not care what people thought of me. It was my first love. I didn't have, you know, it wasn't like acting where I was reading someone else's words. I didn't have a TV or a radio executive telling me what I could or couldn't do. Um, and I went back into it, but I think the day I became a comedian was when my mom passed. Because now I would do 45 minutes at a garage sale. Um, it was my only a respite, my only relief from grief. Uh, my mom came to all my shows. She was opening for me towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and for me, not to be dramatic, it, and, and it's still a little bit that way. It was, it was uh, because I had these, like I went up on stage a few days after she died. I was coming into Toronto, Flying Beaver, and Scott Thompson and Maggie Casella said, don't cancel all your shows. And I thought, are you insane? But I'm glad because I don't know if I would have gone back. It was such a thing my mom and I shared. Um, 
And I used to live to make her laugh. I loved making her laugh. She was a, an easy room with an infectious laugh. And when I did a joke about the Holy Ghost and changing his name to Hogo, anything she would, I would hear Carla Marie. And uh, <laughs> I knew I kind of got to her. So then I, I, I just couldn't wait and, and uh, probably living the cliche of, uh, and I think, you know, I, I dabbled in darker humor and just like we talked about our adolescence of being an overweight child or pig nose, I think the pain brought about a much better material, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't know a lot of really happy comics, <laughs> you know, especially well, when I they think of the material. But yeah, I think you have to know both sides, right? I think yeah. you, yeah, we only grow when we're in pain, as you said, I think during your monologue a little bit. I mean, yeah. we're not, when things are bubbling over and woo, we're, we're deep as lunch trays. <laughs> but when <laughs> something smacks us, it's not even, our, if we don't grow immediately, we finally like, okay, that's my moment. Like, all right, let's grow out of this. Here we go. Here's the lesson, I guess. So when you do guided meditate, I do guided meditations with, with uh, individual clients and sometimes with groups, but do you have sort of go-tos that, for yourself or do you find yourself moving through different guided meditations depending on the moment or the, or the day? I do different ones. I write my own because mm. I didn't really like the one. That's what sort of got me into this. I wasn't crazy about the ones um, on YouTube. There's that British guy, I don't really know, who's always like, listen to my voice and the train wheels. And then there was a woman who literally I think it's a faux Indian accent. She kind of sounded porny and I was falling into it. And she, honest to God said, I'm a very lazy writer, as you may remember. And now breathe through your vagina. And I was like, I need to find an endite for 95 mask. What? <laughs> and, uh, and so I just, I, I just started writing my own. And then um, I enjoyed that. And I, you know, I try to, when, when I, when it's different people, you know, hiring me or when it's a different crowd, trying to think of what would most resonate or, you know, appeal to them. I have a couple of standard, I have a couple of go-tos though. Um, yeah. And then just try to, when the inspiration hits, it's like writing comedy. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I have my own and they evolve. And uh, I think one of the beautiful things about stand-up uh, was uh, it, you didn't go in, like you said, to read other people's words. They're yours and there's an empowerment and not asking for permission to, to speak, but being yes. able to go, so, okay, I'm up here and uh, this is what I think I should speak about. And with meditations, I think if you're, if you're present to the moment, um, I, I know there have been times where I've just sort of changed gear. I thought I was going to go in one direction. I go, no, I think I'll do this one instead. The, the room, it, it's, I don't know about you, but when I used to start in stand-up, I would kind of always go to the back of the room and feel the room. Absolutely. To, right? You couldn't just show up at 10 minutes to your spot and walk on. Not me, you know? no. Yeah, I, me neither. You had to really feel it. And part of that... It, it, it's like during the performance itself, if you're not present, if, you if you're doing last night's show where this joke killed, uh, you're screwed because uh, it's not last night and they're not that crowd and every crowd is its own personality, right? Well, I think you're um, proving my master's thesis here uh, with your point is that, I, which I haven't thought, like in both comedy 
and meditation are very much in the present moment, which is all we're trying to be, you know, like my dog. Um, and and it's that living moment to moment. Um, and I think both are great tools for it because if you're, I want to say doing it right, but I, I absolutely subscribe to your philosophy. I very much read off the crowd. I try to be in the moment. Um, you know, people in my life always joke that I say, I think I'll do this and then, and then do this. And I've got that Christmas gag. And then I get up on stage and I can completely stream of con. I, I do entire Facebook live shows. I did one last night and it's like 40 minutes ago by, it was completely stream of consciousness. And I have severe ADD and people seem to really like them because if nothing else, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm saying there. Why did I just, and I'll be talking about say, Look how adorable that dog is. And, um, but I think cause they're authentic and you know, the crowds both online and in person, you know, become very sophisticated, right? We're talking to the TikTok era. Um, so I think, and I think with, you know, there are pros and cons with that, but I think they can sniff out a, hi, my name's Carla Collins. And in the next 30 minutes, you know, they're, it's yeah. not the infomercial crowd. So um, I think there's something in that, that that people know. And again, that's not something you know with your mind. You know, it's just like, if you like the cut of somebody's jib or not, or um, maybe maybe that's more of a heart or soul thing for lack yeah. of a better. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So the pandemic, what's it taught you? Not quite a bit. Um, I, uh, let's see, like I keep joking that during this pandemic, I've become a vegan, um, a cat person, having only strictly been dog person prior. Uh, I've gotten tattoos. Um, I have a whole list of things that I've tried and then I end with, I might just, uh, since I didn't do it in college, join Lilith Fair and you all know what that means. Play the acoustic guitar. Um, but I think the pandemic has, has taught me to be, as I joke, as flexible as my morals. Again, now that's part of, see, that's an old joke that's just bullshit because I'm quite square, but it does always get a laugh. Um, and speaking of moment to moment, you know, one of the, the lines that resonated the most is I say going back to last April, everybody was so terrified and you know, fear was gripping everyone. So it's really about conquering fear and said, you know, I think what we'd hear over and over, everybody's mantra is, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I said, I get that, but you know, we never do. <laughs> so <laughs> if you look at the bigger picture perspective, we never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, um, I think if you open yourself up to adventure and listen, my, my business completely decimated. I yeah. was, I was in pre-production for my first American comedy special. David Steinberg was producing it. I was at the comedy store in front of him working on it mid March and then boom. So um, I think, I think it has to teach us first of all, to work as a team because, you know, I, I said, look at Team Earth, where everything's so divided. You can't even put something down on Facebook, as you know, because it's maskers and anti-maskers and Trump supporters and non-Trump supporters. And I hate Trudeau, whereas I just think he looks like a Disney prince, but not as masculine. Um, so I think it's, it's, it does give us one commonality. And um, of course, I joke that we have to get our acts together for the, when the aliens land, but our We'll be saying, take us to your leader, because there might be some anal probing, but I think some, some butt play is worth it for a higher intelligence source. You, you don't want to meet our leaders. So uh, I think, you know, I and I don't know about you, but 
And I don't know if it's true. I saw my role early on, I, probably because I was doing a half drunken Facebook live. And then people were writing me and saying, could you please do these every week? Our family gathers around. I'm like, your family? Well, okay. And so I joke, I had my chihuahua and my older gentleman lover, sometimes the UPS guy dependent. We were locked down as we are again. And so I sort of saw myself as a bit of a rodeo clown because you know people are taking to online and I joke about this, whether it's a man or a woman and they're doing their one woman show, like I'm very, you know, and so I just thought like, if I could keep everyone laughing, you know, if you can laugh through it, you can get through it. Um, and uh, so that's what I decided to do. Even when I was shaking like a chihuahua on meth after a couple of five hour energy drinks and thinking all my gigs have been canceled. What fun. <laughs> and, yeah, pretty astounding. Like, you know, no one like no one's pumped for a Zoom comedy show. It's really, you know, they're probably gonna do them at Gitmo just as a form of torture. However, what I like about my comedic meditation is it's not, it's probably the preferred delivery system because right. people don't feel self-conscious. They love to just be able to meditate privacy and comfort of their own home. They don't have to drive home, they don't have to wear pants, they don't have to worry if they're drooling. So, um, yeah, in spiritual work right now, a, a lot of the clergy that I'm friends with say that they're getting more people to their services online. One reason is that, oh, I used to go to that mosque or that synagogue or temple or whatever, uh, or church. Uh, when I was a kid, I'm going to check in with them now, and I live in the other side of the continent, so they what? have a lot of right, so they have a lot of that, and they also have people who, just like you said, they don't have to be publicly present to be engaged in, in, the, in the service. And if, to some people, that's a great relief. To other people, the whole point is the community. The whole point is to be in that room with those people watching people grow up and grow out and die and children being born and being in a, in a community of people. Um, uh, but I, I think that it's interesting that when you combine being funny with then helping them to uh, what's interesting with you, your transition point is that after they've laughed, they can get out of their way. Yes. So what do you, so wh how do you, what do you mean by get out of their way? Well, you know that, uh, and this was a, another term I used to make jokes about because actors are like, I was too in my head and I'm like, I don't know what that means. But um, I did. I, I think when people, Listen, when you, stillness is, is, is difficult. I think that's the final frontier. So, you know, I joke about this pandemic, we're all forced to be isolated and at some point deal with our demons, wrestle our demons. So I like to joke that, you know, WWE is fake wrestling. So my demons in a singlet, it makes it easier for me to grapple. Um, but to get out of your own head is I, either they're listening to my life and thinking, good Lord, I'm doing better than I thought, Joan. Um, it, it, it's taking your mind off of it because, you know, that's what trips us up is the mind or the ego or the chatter. You know, well, I got to pick up the kids. What am I going to do tomorrow? Oh my God, are we going to go another 28 days in this lockdown? And I think when you're laughing, um, it is an escape and you're just thinking of something silly, uh, like perhaps that last joke I just made. Um, as I said, you're there's the physicality in that you are releasing endorphins and, and, you know, getting rid of that pent up energy, right? It's all the same, just like laughing and crying. They're both releases. They're, they're next door neighbors. 
So people have said, I just went right under. I just, I, I wasn't worried about, you know, my presentation the next day. Uh, so that's what I mean by getting out of your own way. We're all in our own ways because as you mentioned earlier, it's the ego or, you know, the shadow self or whatever, well, or, or we're too scared to, to look at our shadow self. It's more what we present to the world. You know, like it's our online persona. Look at what fun I'm having. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what they can get away from. Just if I'm doing my job, if they're really laughing and, or now they're thinking about, I never thought that, I never thought about naming um, sexual positions after presidents and uh, prime ministers. That is funny. And I think, I think it's a distraction and I'm a big believer in distraction to get to our cores. Right, right. Then we, we, we're not so, and I don't mean to say self-absorbed because we all are, it's not even a bad thing. Of course, we're going to be thinking about our own peccadillos and challenges and it, it's, it's what a great movie does. You, you know, it's well, great, great laughter and great crying uh, is total presence. You, you can't, your ego can't be, you know, the, the heckler is not letting go of their ego during the performance. They're just, wait a minute, there's too much attention going to them. I want them the attention. They don't, they can be drawn into it. The magnetism of, I want what she's doing. I want that affection. I want that love. I got to, I got to start interrupting her. But if a person is truly there, there's surrender. Laughter, deep, deep laughter and deep crying. You have to surrender. You have to give up judgment. I remember being a stand-up and crossing the bridge from they didn't laugh, I better speed up, to they didn't laugh and just becoming still. And then the audience would come yes. to me, right? And I would sit with them. And in, in my comic brain, I was thinking, hey, fuck you, I'm funny. <laughs> uh, this is not about whether I'm funny. This is about me not quite doing this right craft-wise at this moment with you, that I didn't deliver this properly for who you are tonight. Not, are you funny? Trust me, I wouldn't be up here after all these years if I wasn't funny. So that was ego, but it was also lack of ego in saying, I, I, I'm not scared. I'm not just going to speed myself up because, oh my God, they didn't like that. What about if you like this? What if It's like, no, let's yeah. just... Let's get back on the same page. Let's look at each other. But then I realized there was such a, in a good night, there was just that surrender. Everyone, me and them and everyone, we were all going to give up this notion of separateness, this illusion that we're all separate and just become one. So I, I, I can really see how if you do that to, to, to a, a group of people who are in a space where they want stillness, they will achieve it in a much more healthy way after having surrendered through laughter. Well, because as you said, though, to your point of being one, we're moving like the waves or whatever imagery metaphor works for you. We're moving together up and down, like the breath up and down. As you said, there's no separation, which is, I think, ultimately what we're all, we need to realize, you know, there is no Ralph for me. This is, you know connected and and sometimes as you know that's easier with some people than well, Eckhart Tolle says I uh, there's two things you can be I am Carla and then get into this whole idea of who you're supposed to be and who you are and who, who you've told people you're going to be and or I am just I am 
yeah. there's two, 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 there's two books that come to my mind in talking to you. One I've spoken about before on the podcast, but it's called God is a Verb. Um, I think you might like that one because it's, it, it's grounded in Kabbalistic thinking. So it's not, you won't be going, what the hell is all this? But it, it really just deals with the idea that God is not a thing. God is the action of creation of the universe and we are part of mm-hmm. it. And, and we are completely interconnected with everything that is beyond our comprehension. If there's 500 million galaxies in the world, in the universe, then, and then we are literally made of stardust, then yes. get with the ball game. I'm made of stardust and glitter. I'm made of stardust and pizza, which is an entirely <laughs> different constellation of, of events in my life. And the other one is one that you talked about, the all the gurus, the fake gurus. Um, there was this title that I always loved. It was a good little book. If you see the Buddha on the road, kill him. <laughs> because, because we want to believe in someone else more than like, please take me to, you know, Trump is about needing to believe that, that, that a way of life has not been lost for white America. That, that white male be, America for the right, most part. Absolutely. Yes. But that, and their fellow travelers, but that they will mm-hmm. get back the life that they were looking for. Yeah. Uh, that they were promised. And now is, is, is capitalism has destroyed that dream for them, but they can't put those two things together. Right. They, they, they ha- so they find this this fake Buddha, orange haired Buddha, you know, to, to get them through and will believe everything, knowing full well he's lying. They'll believe that he's he's the truth. It's, so, you know, I always think it's so funny, Ralph, that people will uh, give up their power way before they give up their wallet. Like <laughs> People will be getting mugged. They're like, no, I don't have any on me. And <laughs> but. Anybody comes by and here you go, Tony Robbins. Here you go, Trump. Here well, you go, we, Beyonce. Well, but we're exactly, but the, the, you know, Torah wise, this is the golden calf. We're constantly looking yes. for something that didn't really require as much from us. Because no, if it's Beyonce, exactly. I can I can I can throw that false god out if I want to. Oh, I'm not right. into Beyonce anymore. I've done with Beyonce. So you you can actually rent a god you know, in your life. And so people have the choice, they say, one God in many worlds or many worlds in one God. Oh God. Yeah. Right. So it's all that. Well, listen, I have to go. Yes. Uh, thank you. It, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I haven't seen you in a long time. And uh, uh, I love everything about your journey. I just, uh, I, I wish you only blessings and, and, and may the memory of your mother uh, be a, a blessing to you and the love that she brought you is so obvious when you speak. So um, I'll hold that for for me, not for everyone else. I'm holding the energy for you. Uh, so that for me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but bless you, really. You're 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 a, you're a, a shining light. I really appreciate the conversation. Oh, thank you, Ralph. As always, as are you. I uh, as I said, I've always admired. And respected you and you know i find it easy to like everyone admire and respect um i i, I love what you're doing and this is one of the most fascinating podcasts i've been uh, blessed to be a part of so thank you my friend thank you carla and one of these days i'll come and laugh and uh, and uh, meditate with you it'll be fun i'd like that carla collins uh what's your website carla 
Oh, they can go to comedicmeditation.com, I think would be the best for your viewers. <laughs> or okay. Yeah. Comedicmeditation.com. Okay. Uh, that's it for the Not That Kind of Rabbi. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, there's a Facebook page uh, for Not That Kind of Rabbi. I'm actually having a conversation with somebody this week who lives in England who's going to help me to consolidate some of these social media pieces together with the podcast. Uh, but it, if you want to listen to any other uh, episodes, feel free. Uh, any of the podcatchers have Not That Kind of Rabbi. And you can see, I think we're up to almost 40, so you can see uh, whoever you'd like to listen to. In the meantime, I hope that in this new year, we find some way to get through this together and not atomize into self-interest and fear. Uh, it's a very, very hard thing we're going through. Uh, but if we can find a little bit more love and a little less uh, anxiety, then um, we'll get there. We're going to get there. It's just trying to take care of each other that'll matter. Be well and bye-bye.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.